Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to whoever might be listening to this on the Temple Beth Am podcast. Um, here we go. Uh, this, depending on how quickly we go today, this is going to be a lot of um, Rashi grammar and vocab and bringing us to other places in Tanakh where roots are used in this similar way. So this is going to be, again, depending on how quick we go, you know, low-ish on content and high-ish on grammar, but because there are two long Rashis about that, and then eventually we'll get over that hump and get more to the story. Um, we are on chapter 9, verse 16, which Rashi was quiet on. If I, if I remember correctly, I think we read Sforno on that last week. Um, let's read... Yeah, we'll, re- we'll read the verse. Um, good morning, Joel. Um, just to get into the uh, rhythm. This is God. Um, this is what God wants Moses to say to Pharaoh. So we're still in that extended quotation marks. He wants to say to him, this, It's for this reason that I've let you stand. I have upheld you. In order for me to show you my power. Ulaman saper shemi b'chola aretz, and in order to uh, th- that my name be reported and told throughout the entire land, we didn't read this inside last time. But Ibn Ezra makes it clear that lest you think that the saper means is a continuation of the you. In order, Pharaoh, that you aggrandize my name uh, throughout the land, it's not tisaper; it's saper almost as an infinitive. And in order that the telling of my name happens throughout the land, right? I'm not expecting you to go be my, my missionary, but news will be, will be spread about what happened here, okay? And Sforno, uh, just to remind you, we're not going to read it again, he basically responds to some of the questions that I know at least Elon asked last time and other people were as well, which is, gosh, how do we relate to this God who seems to be toying with, yes, a tyrant, but seems to be specifically interested um, in ongoing suffering And Sforno reminds us that sometimes the next round of travail is to induce tshuva, right? So that you might repent, in which case all this will be done. And and we discuss how very much on the nose this is, the amount of uh, havoc that uh, Israel is is, is creating right now in Gaza. And I think one of the most salient responses I've heard from many people is, right, it, it, it sort of could all be over very quickly, if the, if the tyrants in the situation decided to change their ways, right? So this is Sforno saying this is not God intentionally trying to um, torture the Egyptians, but saying, perhaps if I push you this far, you'll, do, you'll repent, and then all of this will become much more easy. Okay, that's where we ended, and that was a, um, a nice ending because it ends the sixth aliyah of Va'era. Uh, it's taken us a long time to get through Va'era. We now begin the seventh aliyah. I remember how long the seventh aliyah is. Uh, not that long. My guess is by Pesach we should be finished with it. Um, Pesach's not that far away, so, okay. Um, verse 17, uh, I don't know. Carol, do you want to read? Uh, maybe next. Okay. Uh, Marsh, you want to read? Marshall. Yep. Thank you. Um, so 17 starts with, um, and altars, you still block the way to my people. 
not sending them off. Good. Okay. Uh, let's break it down. In Hebrew, owed can be declined, right? In English, the word more, you, you, can't, you can't do a declension of the word more because it's just a, um, it's, it's an adverb, the word more, right? But in Hebrew, owed can be odi, my owed, odcha, you're mooring, you're continuing, right? So it's sort of unimplied, and, and, and as long as you continue, I know it's not written in there, but as long as you continue, mistolel ba'ami, and we'll discuss first, pause and discuss what that is. The root of mistolel is samech lamed lamed, the tuff gets thrown into the middle of the root. So we'll discuss what that is, but as long as you mistolel ba'ami, levilti shacham, to not um, send them, uh, to refuse to send them away. This is what we'd call like a, a clause in modern English. It's not a full sentence, right? There's no, there, there's, there's almost like a, an, an implied if, but we don't have the then. The then, just to peek ahead, is the beginning of verse 18. I'm going to send um, hail upon you. So in, in biblical grammar, it's a full pasuk. In English grammar, we would send it back to the person who wrote it saying, this is a sentence fragment, not a full sentence. Okay? As long as you mistolel ba'ami. Okay, mistolel. Let's look at unclus. Okay? Um, ad Ka'an at keveshat bey ba'ami. Sa'ad ka'an, as long as, at, ata, you, keveshat. So the Aramaic keveshat from the root kaf beit shin. Anyone think of a word in Hebrew, kaf beit shin? Kibush. What does kibush mean? Like to um, conquer. Conquer, right? Conquer, right. right. Kibush ha'aretz, it, it describes what Joshua does in the book of Joshua to conquer the land of, um, of Canaan. So here it has to do with a conquering. Does anyone know of another Hebrew Kibbutz. word or root? What's that? Kibbutz. Like uh, sheep? Yeah. Sin shin. Uh, I know there's someone interchangeable. I'm not sure there's a connection there. Going back to the original Hebrew, salal. Samech lam lam. Anyone have any, any connections with that? Misila is a path. Right. Uh, if you've seen any construction project in Israel, solel boneh. Right? It's like, like the national... I think it's like a nationalized construction company, and Solel Bonet are ba it's basically a. Um, uh, someone trying to get into the Zoom. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Solel Bonet. Uh, wait till they join. Sorry to those who were in the waiting room. I just I wasn't looking for a few minutes. My apologies. Um, Solel Bonet is basically a construction firm using two biblical roots, meaning to build. Solel is to like flatten the, the path upon it, right? So that's the two ways that you do a, you know, build a road. You flatten it and then you build it, okay? So can we connect those two ideas that, that Uncleus translates for it to a word that means a conquering, and yet Solel seems to do with the pre-building process. Can anyone draw a line between those two things? Real question, that's not rhetorical. How, how do we make sense of that? So the, the word is as long as you solel or engage in silila with my people. Uncleus translates it from a root that means to conquer, but solel we think of as a word means to like to kind of flatten a road before building it. Tova, let's get our microphone. No. Here, pull, pull, bring it off the stand. 
Um, I guess you can think of conquest as a kind of flattening. You're going in, you're knocking down all resistance. Uh, you're, you're preparing it for yourself to be able to build in that place. Yeah, and I think even in colloquial English, we can sometimes talk about like uh, a, you know, a, mil a military operation as just flattening the opposition, right? So your first glance is like building project and warfare don't seem to be similar, but the idea is to take something that is in your way, something convex, and flatten it down. And now that you've flattened it down, now you can continue to build up upon that. Marshall? Yeah, like um, the word maslul, I think, which means a path, that there's something which is blocking, therefore I'm going to create a path. Correct. So a, a creation of a path. So if we, if we push that back into our verb, into our verse, something like, as long as you, as you what, as you continue to knock us down, as you block us or you prevent us from coming out, if you get in the way of our making our own path and not send them away, something like that, that's, that's one way of understanding Mr. Lael. Let's look at Rashi, okay? Before we do Rashi, could I just give Alter's comment on that? Yeah, please. Alter says, you still block the way to my people. The meaning of the Hebrew verb here, Mistolel, has long been in dispute. This translation pres presumes a connection with the military term Soleila, a siege ramp, which might imply that Pharaoh is keeping the Hebrews penned in as a besieging army would do to the population trapped within a city. Open up my window in the bed, please. Like, like the, bring his food down when you come get down. to a higher thing so that you can you can uh, conquer it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tova, microphone. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, Silberman translates our problematic verb as exalteth thyself. Where do you think he derived that from? He translates the. Um, the word mistoleo that way? Apparently, yeah. As yet, um, and yet exaltest thou thyself against my people that thou shalt, wilt not let them go. Yeah. Let's, let's wait for Rashi. Okay. So my guess is that Silverman sometimes translates the verse as if Rashi's commentary were pshat. Yeah. So let's read the Rashi and we'll, and we'll, and we'll get close to that. Okay. okay. Uh, Marshall. So, Odecha mistoleo be'ami kitargumo. That we are to understand it as the, I guess, Targum Unculus understands it. Kvishat be ami. That he says, still oppressing my people. Right. right. Flat, flattening, conquering my people. Okay. Behum uh, And this is from the. Um, uh, we would use the word Shoresh. Rashi uses the word Gzikizra to use the word Shoresh, the root. From what? What Hebrew word is this from? Mesilah, uh, not taken out of uh, Isaiah, chapter 11, verse uh, 16. Uh, mm, you have Isaiah? Yeshaya. I have Bamidbar 2019. Uh, let me put that on the screen. I wonder if there's two different um, verses that are being uh, potentially discussed here. Um, Elon, will you do your thing? Okay. So, chapter 20 of the book of the Midbar, verse 19. Uh, sorry, verse... It's listed at verse 19, but it's actually verse 20. I guess there's a, a disagreement as to 
um, what verse it's from. Vayomer, so verse with verse 19, Vayomer Elav Edom. This is when the Israelites are traveling through the desert and they try to pass through the territory of Edom and the king of Edom doesn't let them. So Edom said back to them, Lo Tabor, you cannot pass. Almost sounds Monty Pythonish, none shall pass. Pain Bacherev, Etzet Likradcha, we're all going to come out and greet you by the sword. Vayomru Elav, this is verse 20, and they said back to him, Bene Israel, the children of Israel, Bemisila. Na'ale. We're gonna, we're, we're, don't, we're not gonna bother you. We're gonna stay on the highway. We're gonna stay on the road. Misila. So for the rest of the verse, it doesn't really matter. And look at the right side of the page. How does Uncleus translate misila there? Ba'orech kvisha, like a flattened, paved highway. We we're not gonna go into your territory. We're not gonna go into your farms or, or your habitations. We're just gonna basically use the highway, like or the byway. A kv- very good, a kvish. I hadn't even thought about that. Very good, Joel. I don't know why that had not come to me. Very good. A kvish, right? A flattened pathway. We're not going to get in your way. So Rashi says um, it's just like that usage there in Bamidbar, a-, a flattening. And as long as you continue to flatten my people the way road builders would flatten land to make a road, then you're going to be in trouble. Okay, keep going, uh, okay. Marshall. Uh, in Targumina, as we translate, Orach Kvisha. Kalkier. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting that Silberman translates that or pronounces it as Cochet, C A U C H E R. Why he does that, I don't know. I don't know enough French to know. Uh, we'll hopefully get some help from Rosemary, but look at the screen. So this is Otsar Laze Rache, uh, entry number 3082, Mistolel. So the, it's. it's Transliterated from French into Hebrew as Kuf Lamed Kuf Yud Yud Reish Kalkier, and this guy creates the he, the French word in English in English letters C H A L C H I E R. I looked that up; I could find nothing. But his understanding of what the word means is Mashmaut Wishonesh Mila. The initial meaning of the root was Lidroch to stomp, Lirmost to trample, Uvahashala, and it got borrowed from that root to mean le to kind of depress, le to, um, to pursue, okay? Can you think of any French word, Rosemary, this might be? Uh, I just think of... Let's get, her, let's, get her, let's get her a microphone. No, it has nothing to do, probably, calcare is the residue which stays like uh, um, in a tube or somewhere, mm. like plaster, not plaster, but... Uh, but no, no verb having to do to, uh, to stomp or to flatten or anything like that. Okay. Uh, Rick, I see you. Your hand is up. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you. So, Lidroch, I can see derech there, right? So, if you're stomping along, then you make a road. The derech comes from Correct. Lidroch. Correct. So, um, the next one was Lirmos. Is, is Remes... Um, is remes the same thing, or uh, is that totally different? The next word on your page there, after lidroch, the uh, French. Yeah, lirmos means to, to to stomp over or to trample. It can also mean to slither, because that's what a snake does in Breshid, haromes ala aretz. Ah, okay, that's what I, okay, that's what I heard. Okay, thank you. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm not sure what French word is being referred to, but... But, but clearly, Uncleus thinks it's a French word that is going to prove the point that this means to kind of to, to, to flatten out. Okay, 
Now, remember, remember what Tova said before. Uh, keep reading, Marshall. Okay. Uchvar pe Rashi besof miketz, and I've already explained at the end of Parshat vayhi miketz. Kol tevash tchilat yisoda samech viba baal ledavar bilashon mitpael notain hatav shel shim sham shamush shimush shimush is it okay. Uh, okay, this is Rashi, like using medieval Hebrew to describe a certain phenomenon when it comes to the order of letters and roots, okay? okay so, I'm just going to read the Silverman translation since I, I would struggle to try to translate individually. So um, that in, in the case of every word, or Mihiri says the word Yisoda means verb, whose first root letter is Samech or Shin, when it is intended to express the idea of acting upon itself. Meaning a heat pa'el, the reflexive. Form, one puts the tav of the prefix heat or meat or yeet between the root letters, just as in this case. Okay, let me try to say that a little bit more cleanly. So Hebrew letters are three letters. God, it is really hot in here. Uh, I just don't understand what's going on. Okay. Um, so, th- think of a three-letter. Let think of a th- three-letter root. How about lavash, right, to get dressed, or, or the, the, the notion of clothing. When you put it in reflexive, it's the beginning of lehit, and then the root lehit. Labesh, to do it to yourself. Um, pashat means to, to strip. Lehit pashat means to take off your own clothing, to strip your clothing, etc. Almost all the time, the, the part that makes it into a reflexive, the lehit comes first and then the root. But depending on what letter the root begins with, something else happens. And when a letter, when a root begins with a samach or a zayin or a tsari, and I'll show you examples in a second, the, the tough of the reflexive gets put in between the first and the second letter. I'll give you an example. So um, to, what's the root for old? Zakain. To age oneself is not, le, it's not lehit zakain, it's lehiz, the zion comes first. Here's actually another example. It's a dalad, not a tough when it's a zion, so it's lehiz dakain. So the root is interrupted. Um, what is, what's pain? Tsa'ar. To be pain that you cause someone uh, uh, pay, sorrow to apologize or to be sorrowful is lehitz ta'er. It's not lehit sa'ar, but the taf gets in between the first and second letter of the root. Okay? It, correct. And it's sa'ari becomes a tet. So I, I, I use two examples where 
it's, it's true that there's a letter that interrupts, but it's a different letter, right? And with a samech, if a samech root is in the heat pa'el, um, lehista kale, right? Or lehista pear to get a haircut. So sapar means to cut hair. It's not lehit saper, it's lehis taper. Why? Excellent question. Wait, hold on, hold on. I mean, this is not at all my area, but I know at least in some Tav has been pronounced as an S, and so it makes sense if it was pronounced with an S sound that you wouldn't want it to run into a root that also begins with S and therefore juxtapose it. I'm certain it does have to do with pronunciation. Mm -hmm. the, the actual origin story of that switcheroo, I have no idea. Like, it probably happened so early on in the developed the language that there's no record of it. But it's pretty consistent, right? So that's what he's talking about there, right? Notain hataf shel shimush shel ikar. That the tough that's being used for the part of the root to reflexify it, goes in between, the letters of the root, kagon, keep going, like, like our case, yeah. Now, what Rashi is about to do, I will say I don't quite understand, because this, I, I didn't check, this can't be the first time in the Tanakh that you have a, 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 a root that begins with a samak that's in a heat pa'el. Maybe it is, I don't know. But he's going into this as if he's in like teaching grammar 101 and just showing us three random and they're really random roots throughout the, the Tanakh where, where this phenomenon happens. It's a pretty basic thing to explain why he's spending time on. I'm not sure, but I want to show you all the examples just because we're being comprehensive here. So hold on one second. <laughs> you say that facetiously? Okay. Um, so I'm going to share the screen. Uh, the first one is from Kohelet. Okay. Uchagon vayista bel hechagav. Okay, so look at the, um, at the screen. This is from the 12th chapter, the last chapter of Kohelet. Um, verse 5. Gam migavoa yirau. People, that when you're afraid of heights, v'chat v'chat I, I always have a hard time pronouncing this word even when I'm laying in Kohelet. And um, frightening things on the way. Is it a coincidence or not a coincidence that this root has the word derech, which is a synonym solel, probably a coincidence. And almond trees are blossoming. And the grasshopper is like suffering and drive, drive, um, dragging itself off. In the root vayistabel, the word, the root is samech bet lamed, sabal, but the taf gets in between. It's not vayit sabel, but vayis tabel. Okay? Look at the next one. The next one he brings from, uh, keep reading, Marshall. So he says, migizrat sabal, it's for the root sabal. Kitis tarir aleinu from Bamidbar Tetvav Yudgimel. Okay, look at the screen. This is from the Korach story. Um, when, um, uh, verse 13, Hama'at ki helitanu me It's not, not only <coughs> out from, haha, the Egypt, which, which they believed was flowing with milk and honey, lahamitenu bamidbar, to kill us in the desert, ki tistarer aleinu gam histarer. Are you really going to lord over us? The root from which we get the root tistarer is sar, or sarar, to lord over something. The taf gets in between the sin 
and the Reish. And in uh, biblical uh, grammar, the Samech and the Sin are somewhat interchangeable. So even though he's trying to make a claim about the Samech and he's using a root that's a sin, for him it's basically the same thing. It's the S sound, which probably pushes closer to Tova's understanding this is a pronunciation thing, right? That it's hard, however they pronounce these letters, and we don't know exactly how they did, it made it easier to pronounce it if you inverted the Taf and the Samech. Um, I see Larry's hand is raised, so let's stop for a second and hear what Larry has to say. I'm sorry, I was late, so you probably already covered a lot of this uh, already. First of all, did you mention uh, the reference to the first uh, verse of the Haftarah for, for Yom Kippur, Solo, Solo? Solo, Solo, Hamsila, right. We didn't reference so, it, but it's the same root, to... to, to um, to pave the, the pathway for God, right. And then I didn't catch what you were talking about in terms of Old French, but the word pave itself is a word that comes from French, from paver, which which means to pave, but it also means, according to... Hold the, on one second. Can someone just make the volume louder? I don't know if it's on the computer. It's the air I know. How about now? Is that better? Okay, keep going. So my etymological dictionary tells me that pave comes from the old French pave or Latin paver, which means to beat, to ram, to tread down. So it literally means the translation that JPS gives, which is to, um, I'm sorry, no, it's not the, uh, the, 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 the Rashi translation of, of beating down. So paving means not just paving with stone or with paving blocks, but also means to beat down. Yes. So, and we, we, we danced around that a little bit, this idea that even though we don't naturally think of like a building process and conquering to be in the same uh, realm of meaning, it really is. It's, it's, a, it's a beating down, a flattening, a paving, so that you can then build something on top of that. Yeah. Uh, Joanna. So I think the reason that Rashi feels the need to dwell so much on this is it, it's not clear to me if this is the first time we have a heat pala, a heat pa'el with the Samech. But as we've been talking, I've looked up the Shorash in a concordance, and this is the one and only appearance of this Shorash in all of Torah. Hmm. So he, I'm, I'm guessing that Rashi felt a need, although as Larry just referenced, um, it does appear literally a handful of times elsewhere in Tanakh, including the Haftarah that Larry referenced. This is the one and only appearance of this Shorash in, in Torah, and Rashi probably feels the need to explain it. Good. So it might, so it might indeed be a Hapax Legamanon. It's only the time that it, it appears. It's interesting to me, and I, I can't solve this in my head, why he gives so many examples um, and yes, from random seeming, um, from random seeming places, but maybe he's just, maybe this is indeed the first time, like he comes across this and he wants to make sure that we never are confused by this in the future. Joel, let's give Joel the microphone. If it's like Larry says that this isn't a published work by Rashi, but it's actually notes by his students, 
maybe, you know, it's, he's just responding to, to questions. So one of his students may have asked, what does that word mean? And he says, well, it's Samach Lama Lama. And he says, well, why is there a taf in the middle? And so just like you would do, he says, well, it happens all the time. And he goes, Interesting. So, like, you're, like imagining this is just a recording of what happened when Rashi's teaching the material. Nice. Nice. Um, okay, we're almost done uh, with this Rashi. I think there's a few more. Okay, so Mikizrat, Nagit, Bissar. I guess from the verbal pattern. Um, from the root, from the root Sar, which he's reminding us means Nagid, some kind of dignitary. Right, right. Okay. Um, Mistakel Habit. Okay, of course. And then that's Unculus, which is, um, I was considering from the root Samachaf Lama to reflect on. Right, so he decides to go as, as, um, as obscure as possible and bring us to an Aramaic verse in the book of Daniel. So I, I bring it onto the screen. So, um, I mean, Daniel is an inscrutable text because it's half Hebrew, half Aramaic. Mistakal hevit bekarnaya. I looked at, considered the horns. Forget the context, uh, the context of that. This is the word lehistakel, to look at, right? We know that word in modern Hebrew, and it's not lehit sakel, but lehistakel. So yet another example where an S-sounding letter, samech or sin, gets removed from the second two letters of its root. The tough gets in between. That's how it gets hepaelized. Um, um, Tova, I was I, I misremembered. It's not Rashi that brings the question, the the notion of the root meaning to lord over. It's Everett Fox's translation. So I want to share that with you. Um, and why I'm not sure, um, but let me show you Everett Fox's translation. Um, okay, it's on the screen. So. Um, And if, no, that's Corin. Maybe it's Corin, not, not ever Fox. Corin reads it as, if as yet thou dost exalt thyself against my people so as not to let them go. And Rashi, sorry, not Rashi, uh, Everett Fox is, I'm not as quick today with my clicking. Yeah, Everett Fox said the same thing. If you set yourself up over my people, but not setting them free, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know why that root might mean that. Leonard? Well, there's a word, which means to exalt. Uh-huh. Um, actually, I'm, 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 I'm not thinking straightly today, because I, I did look this up. Look at the screen. I had this on the computer. I forgot. I had forgotten what I had forgotten. So if you look up the root, salal, in the BDB, it means to lift up and to cast up, right? Um, it believes that the word sulam, ladder, is related to that idea, right? Seal um, sul, a loftiness or a distinction. So BDB would say to Rashi, you're too influenced by Unculus, who read it as a conquering, a flattening. The root has a perfectly good meaning, which means to lift yourself up over not to flatten us. And that's what's going on here. If you Leonard at, and then Barry. If you look at the second line from the bottom there on that article, where it says, peel, peel, salsala, that's the same thing. Exalt her. Right. And if you look at the bottom part, he actually gives us a jackpot here. In the heat poel, mistoleo, our verse, exalt oneself. And to exalt yourself against. Now, 
they're cousins, right? So to exalt yourself against means to make you higher than them. It means for you to be big, them to be small. It means to flatten on some level. So it's not that these are two different possible roots. It's just two different ways of rendering it and thinking about it. Is the focus here, God saying to Moses to tell Pharaoh, if you continue to hold yourself up here and us down here, or is it more if you continue to block their pathway out? Either way, we know what he's trying to say. If you remain stubborn, you're going to get hail. Yeah. So just a short comment here. I remember reading that this metathesis, the switching of the letters, the order of the letters, is exceedingly rare as a feature of a language. Apparently, this is like one of the only languages in the whole world that that uses that feature as part of the grammar of the language as opposed to, you know, occasionally things switch by accident. By accident. Interesting. I remember when I first learned it, I was... I was gobsmacked. I was like, it, it, first of all, it explained why certain words were what they were, right? I knew the verb lehiz dakein before I realized that it's from zakein. I knew it. I like, I knew that I knew how to say a sentence. I knew dakanti. I got older, but I hadn't thought about what happened to the root zakan. The dala got in there, so I only learned the grammar after I learned how to speak. Which is, in most cases in Hebrew, in, in my Hebrew, is the reverse. I learned the grammar and then I spoke it. But if you are a native Hebrew speaker, like a five-year-old knows how to say, I need Mizda Kane, I'm getting older, but it's not thinking about the placement of the Dalit between the design and the Kuf. And once you learn it, words begin to open up. Yeah. Uh, Barry, then Marshall, and Joanna, is your hand up again or still? Well, while you're, while you're answering that, Barry, go ahead. Sorry, not me. Yeah, you said from before. Okay. Barry. Just a, a simple physics uh, to to push up requires a pushing down. To raise up requires a, a pushing down. Yes, correct. So, so the, the either way you go on this, it's clear that what Pharaoh is being accused of is keeping him up and the people down. Rick, or no, Marshall, and then Rick. I'm remembering back from the from the book of Genesis about Joseph's hair. Was that Ms. Salsel wrote? He was, in fact, beautifying his hair or doing something with his hair, the same Shoresh. Do I remember correctly? In what, in what context? I don't remember. Like a rabbinic text or in the Torah itself? In the Torah itself, Ms. Salsel wrote. I think it was. Doesn't Maybe ring I'm, a bell. I'm mis, misremembering. It, I don't think that is from chapter 39. I don't think that's in, uh-huh. in the in the story of him and Potiphar's wife, yeah. it might, there might be a rabbinic commentary on that. Uh-huh. Rebbe. Yeah, it's, it's not. So, a misalsel say, a misalsel say R is a uh, hair straightener in uh, modern Hebrew. Look what happens when you Google that phrase. <laughs> Look. <laughs> That's a Miss Alcel say R. Curling irons. Yeah. No, I think it's a straightener. No? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember uh, a text about that with Yosef, but do some research. Rebbe. Rebbe. Hello. Hello. I think that's the midrash where Joseph is looking in the mirror and he sees the image of his father. Maybe that's when he was looking at his hair. Okay. But to answer Marshall, but I wanted to ask when you had the definition up there from the BDB or whatever, in the middle you had, uh, it was Derek Los Lula. You had Derek again a couple of times. 
Um, so I, I really, I really latched onto that, that the, a path that you keep walking on, it's get flatter and flatter. Um, and then I wanted to bring up, if I could, the, the uh, distinction or the difference between 16 and 17. In 16, you have them standing up. And now you're flattening them down. So I think there's a direction, uh, there's a directionality of uh, what the people are experiencing also. Very good. And if you look at the first word beginning at verse 18, it's I'm bringing down upon you. So I think that's nice, Rick, this idea of plotting the up and downness of, of this stretch of verses. I don't think there's an accident. Good. Okay. Uh, that's you. the end of Rashi on that verse. And that's the end of that verse. And that verse is a half thought because it's really an ellipsis leading into what God is telling Moses to tell Pharaoh that God promises to do if Pharaoh doesn't um, mend his ways. Okay. Now verse uh, 18. Uh, Elon, you want to read verse 18? Sure. Let's, give, let's, let's give him a microphone. Hinini mamtir keet macha barad kaved maod asher lo haya kamohu b'mitzrayim lemin hayom havista vaad ata. Okay, see if you can translate. Um, at, 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 <laughs> here at this time tomorrow. There will be uh, a heavy hail, a very heavy hail, mm-hmm. that uh, you have not seen anything like it uh, in Egypt uh, from the from uh, the time of its founding until uh, now. Good. So mamtir, you see in the root mamtir, matar, which means rain, right? So rain here in the in the Hebrew and English double entendre. Rain is the thing that comes down. It also means to rain something down means to bring something from up and bring it down, whether the thing that's being brought down is actually rain, right? Tain talomatar, right, to give dew and rain. But lahamtir can also just mean to bring down, bring down precipitation or bring down something else. So I will be bringing down ka'et machar. Let's what, what are some ways to render those two words? Ka'et machar. We know machar means tomorrow. What's the ka'et? Okay, so we, we know that it, it means at about this time. The problem is that there seems to be a word in Hebrew missing because what you have in eight is time, but you don't have the word this. You have, it's almost as if it's, behold, I'm going to rain down at time tomorrow, and both in Hebrew and in English, there's some, there's some kind of a, 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 an article or, a, def, or um, a defining word that is missing. Ka'et machar at time tomorrow, at this time tomorrow? Norm, if you're going to speak, you need a microphone. But their Masoretes have given us not ka'es, but ka'es at the, the, time. the time or this time. Yeah. So look at Unculus. Unculus recognizes what's kind of missing in the verse. Ha, ana, machet, mitra. I'm going to bring down um, uh, from the sky. Ba'idana, at time, hadain. He adds in the hadain, which means hazeh. Because he knows that even with the ka'et, there's some other word that's missing. 
that this time machar, tomorrow, barda, the hail. Um, okay? And it's, it's very, very strong. Asher lo There was never hail like this in Egypt. Lemin hayom, from today, sorry, lemin hayom hivazda, from the day of its having been established. What's the root of hivazda? Yud Samachtal, remember that? That's going to be Rashi's next foray into what happens when the first letter of a root is a Samach. That was last time. What happens when the first letter of a root is a Yud? The Yud disappears from this um, root, um, but we have that all the time, like Yom Huledet, right? The root of Yom Huledet is Yud Lamedalid, but the Yud disappears in many forms, right? But the root here is Yasad or Yisod to establish. Vi'ad Atta, until now. Okay. Uh, questions or comments on the verse in either content or form? Elon. Yeah, I'm curious as to why it needs to say at this time tomorrow. Why didn't it just say, behold, tomorrow? I mean, what's, what's the significance of the time? Good. So Rashi will pick up on that, that if, the, if what we're supposed to understand from Ka'et is not just generally it's coming soon, but it's 329 right now. And it's going to be, we're going to do this at 329 tomorrow. What does that mean? So Rashi is going to um, uh, reply to that, whether you like his response or, or not, we'll see. But he's sensitive to that. Anything else on the verse itself? Marshall, let's give him a microphone. Again, alters translation from the day of its founding until now. As the plagues are intensified, rhetorical drum rolls such as this punctuate the report of the catastrophes. Compare verse 24, the like of which there had not been in all the land of Egypt from the time it became a nation. So what do you think he means by drum roll there? Getting louder and louder, getting more intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's as if like the warning when, then, when this plague is coming is heading into epic, right? It's not just that bad things are coming. You're about to experience you're about to experience something that your society has never experienced. Um, I just want to share with you Everett Fox's translation, um, who translates in English in a way that suggests that he also believes that there's something a little bit lacking in the Hebrew. Uh, here, around this time tomorrow, like he he turns ka'et machar into four English words. Around, that's the ke, the eight, that's the time, the machar is tomorrow, the this, he adds in, just like Uncleus added in Hadain. I will cause to rain down an exceedingly heavy hail, the like of which has never been in Egypt from the days of its founding until now. Uh, Barry and then uh, Joel. The question on the, on the word hifasda, uh, 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 it was founded. What do we mean Egypt was founded? Uh, why, and why is this significance uh, since Egypt was founded? I I'm, I'm, don't know what that means. Yeah, it's, it, it is an interesting question because it suggests that the Torah has an understanding of the beginnings of societies, the founding of countries. Like is this from, is it referencing Pharaoh's dynasty or is the Torah imagining a time when there wasn't an Egypt, all of a sudden there was an Egypt. It is an interesting phrase. I don't have a good answer, but it's a great question. Uh, Joel and then Tova, unless you want to respond to that point. Okay, skip Tova the microphone, then Joel. Um, I don't know if this really reflects rabbinic understanding, but it, <clears throat> the, the idea of the founding of Egypt 
the beginning of the, the creation of the two lands. The, the word, the Egyptians word for Egypt was Tawi, which means two lands. It's like mm. the ayim suffix, mm. and the, the, the pair. And that was the Ma'asev Rishit. That was the intended order of creation was mm. Tawi. And the ultimate indication of disaster was when the two lands were split and when that entity did not exist. So this is actually extremely apt mm. to indicate utter disaster. Do we have a sense Egyptian. of what they considered to be the geography of Tawi? Like, is it what? Yeah, it's the delta was the was Lower Egypt, uh, the what they called uh, the Kemet, the Black Land, because of the fertile soil, and Upper Egypt was what we would call Southern Egypt because they're doing the directionality of the Nile, right? Uh, and that was Deshret, the Red Land, because of the red sand uh, desert. Uh, and the two of those The Nile together, flows south? The Nile flows north. Flows north. But, so they're saying from its origin to the south is upper Egypt. Mm. They regard that as up. Mm. The first time they went, they conquered, when Thutmose conquered into to the, to the Euphrates and found a river flowing from the north, he was staggered. I see. Right? Because <laughs> yes. so, they weren't thinking north-south. They thinking were thinking origin north, of Nile. They were thinking origin of Nile, that's upper and lower. It, it's confusing to people all the time, but lower Egypt is the delta. Upper Egypt is the southern part of the Nile towards its origin. And uh, do we have a sense that um, geographically it was as big as the current state of Egypt? Like they experienced Egypt as far south as like the border of, I don't know, Eritrea? They, Eritrea? Uh, the, the border, the southern border of Egypt, Sudan, what Sudan today, what was Nubia at the time, was always in contests. They regularly fought and conquered it. Nubia is from the Egyptian word nub, which means gold. Mm. That's why they were after it. It was a source of gold. Its southern border varied between what's called the first and I think the third cataracts going south. So it varied, but it did extend fairly far into that area. Yeah. Cataract as in waterfall? Cataract as in um, uh, rapids, rapids, like really rough. That would have been really oh. helpful to know yesterday. Right, right going <laughs> off right long. now. <laughs> so three of us in this room, and now Leonard, four of us in this room are in a nerdy daily trivia contest. And oh. yesterday, there was a question about a word for a common medical disorder that also means a waterfall. And I was like, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> gosh, got it. Did you get it right, Joel? Yeah. Leonard, did you get it right? I got a zero. Yeah. I'm impressed, Joel. But I, that's incredible. I'd never heard of that before in my life, and it comes oh. up today. Rabbi? It's extremely common talking about Egyptian history. You talk about the cataracts all the time. Wow. Rabbi? I guess Cascade. I never heard of a, a, a disease called Cascade, but okay. That, that was, that's unbelievable. Uh, wait, Joel was going to say something before? All right. Leonard and then Norm. I hope here. you all are enjoying yourselves because we're finding this. Oh, Larry, you're here too. You're also there. Did you get it right? Uh, not only did I get it right, but Monday, Diane had cataract surgery. <laughs> Meaning she had a waterfall put in? <laughs> but we were actually talking about the origin of the word cataracts coming from waterfalls or rapids. And, and, uh, um, I just wanted to say about Upper Egypt, we always talk about going upriver without any consideration of directionality. Yeah. Upriver means going up toward where the flow is coming from. Yeah, yeah, great. How's she doing? 
Larry. Oh, she's fine. She's teaching right now, which is why she's not here. She's okay. And she's seeing colors like she never saw. <laughs> Amazing. That's a good sign. Okay. Leonard Norm. All right. I just wanted to point out that uh, cataract, which does indeed mean waterfall in Latin, comes from Greek. And the meaning of the origin words there in Greek is to smash down. Wow. <laughs> this is very, in, very, very intertextual. Wow. Norm? I have a question. Is it normal to give pharaohs such a detailed advance warning of exactly what's going to happen? You know, he's been warned occasionally, but this time he seems to be getting really a detailed description of what is coming next if he yeah. doesn't repent quickly. In different uh, plagues, we talked about how Moses giving Pharaoh the opportunity to say, when do you want this plague to be removed? I think it was the frogs, yeah. right? Could be understand by, understood by Pharaoh to mean, ah, I, I'm actually more important than I thought. They're allowing me to, to um, sure. snap my fingers, and this is exactly when the plague's going to be over. Or it can be understood as, you know how powerful I am, Pharaoh? <laughs> you want this gun at 708? Tell me, and I'll, be, and I'll let it go at 708. So it's actually, it's, it's a power game, right? So if you get to... The more detail you know, on the one level, the more prepared you can be. On the other level, the more you realize you are not in control. I'm in control. So it is a power game to control someone else's reality to that level of specificity. Um, but you're right that it's not been happening all the time. And going back to uh, someone's, was it uh, what Marshall read about um, this, the drumbeat? Like, the, the, this is getting bigger, right? We're talking about epic things that have ever happened in Egypt, and I'm going to tell you the ex exactly when it's going to happen, and guess what? I'm not going to be off by a second. Right? Um, Rosemary? I think as we are going closer to the bigger um, um, punishments, um, this is giving all the uh, precision, so um, it prepares people psychologically to be more scared. When it says tomorrow at this time it's at this time people will wait for that yeah. so already your nerves are in uh, motion yes. and then there will be like uh, something coming down the hail you haven't seen the country haven't existed now it's going to happen so all this is making the people more nervous and um, they know that if they don't do worse things will happen it, cr it creates an anticipatory anxiety it reminds me, there's a wonderful midrash that Aviva Zornberg does a beautiful job expanding on in her book on Shmot, on um, the rationale or the explanation, at least the emotional, psychological explanation for the golden calf. Um, the beginning of the golden calf begins with the Torah saying, Vayara am ki Moshe, that the people saw that Moses was late or tarrying because um, he was up on the mountain getting, you know, talking to God, and it's in the absence of their leader that they become frenzied. So the Midrash says, and this is a game, but it's a meaningful game, don't read it as boshesh, which can also mean to be embarrassed, but it means here to tarry. It means ba-shesh. The people saw that it was shesh. What does shesh mean? Not six o'clock, but noon, right, six hours into the day, because he had told them, I'm going up, and I'll be up there for 40 days. And he thought that they thought it meant exactly 40 days. So noon on the 40th day happened, and they went crazy. And uh, the Midrash, and then um, uh, Viva Zornberg expands it, like when a toddler or a young child expects their parent to come and they don't, yeah. 
a second later, they are out of their minds. I actually have memories of that, of being waiting to be picked up from, from uh, Hebrew school at a certain time. And if my mother was two minutes late, I was concerned there was some terrible accident because you expect your mother to come back on time, right? And when you're expecting something, either good, new, good or bad, to happen and it doesn't happen, it's crazy-making. So the Midrash is, they saw it was Bashesh. They were counting down the days and the hours and the minutes and the seconds. He wasn't there. He must not be coming. Oh, my God, we're, we're leaderless. We're brought out for no reason. Golden calf. It doesn't, it doesn't justify the sin, but it psychologically explains the sin. And so what you're talking about here is, is similar, but in the opposite emotional valence. I'm telling you, tick, tock, tick, tock. Tomorrow, when, at this exact time, disaster. Now, uh, Ilan or, or someone, someone had asked about what does it mean about that exact time. Look what Rashi does with that. Uh, I think, Ilan, were you reading? Yes. Okay. So the first thing Rashi does is say, I agree with Unculus, and I'm going to put in a hazot. Unculus put in hadain at, at, at the time tomorrow, meaning at this time tomorrow. And now he expands on the this. Saratlo srita bakotel. Lisrot means to scratch or to create like a mark. So what did he do? I uh, made a mark on the wall. He was in the old city of Jerusalem and he went up to the Kotel and no, just sometimes a wall is just a wall. He, he made a mark on the wall and think of the way a sundial works, like where the sun was at the time, okay? Where the sh- where, like maybe where a shadow ended or something. The machar so tomorrow, um, yeah, when when the sun hits this point, uh, hell will come down. Right. So it's more menacing. It's not just Barah is going to come down. You see this mark on the wall. You see it where the sun's hitting it. I'm going to write it here. All day tomorrow, as you see the sun getting closer and closer and closer to this spot. Mr. Bond, right? Or, uh, or Indiana Jones, right? When, right, right, when the right. sun comes through that, that's why the Raiders lost Ark, right? So it, it both gives Pharaoh maybe a chance to prepare. It also realizes that there's nothing he can, it's also very, um, it's a very powerful trope. It's um, Wizard of Oz, right? Is, you know, when the, when the uh, sand gets through that hourglass, that's when you're doomed. That, I was frightening as a child. Like, you, we knew exactly how many seconds Dorothy had to live. That was frightening, right? Similar kind of stuff. Yeah, a microphone, and then I see Rick's hand. Oh, sorry. Just a small comment. It's also striking that the image is of sunlight marking the coming of hail. You know, it's like the, the very opposite of it makes it even more powerful. I thought you were going to say something. That is interesting. I thought you were going to say something different, that isn't there also a relationship between sun and a pharaonic understanding of divinity, right? So is this the Midrash saying, I, Moses, am going to use the very thing by which you associate your own divinity right. with to let you know that you're not nearly as divine as you That's think. That's actually very good. I should yeah. have saw that. <laughs> uh, Rick. Hi. Um, along the lines of anxiety, uh, going back to verse 14, the plagues are on his heart, el libcha. So it's, a, it's not on his body, it's on his heart. And, and the kaved again reflects the heaviness of his heart and being weighed when he dies and all that kind of thing. So Kaved is also a a, 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 a recurring theme. But um, I like that you said the anxiety uh, upon their hearts and uh, uh, the inner uh, turmoil. Yeah, very good. Um, 
there, there, there's an intensifying of, you know, they didn't know the word psychology, but intensifying of the emotional toying that God and Moses are doing with Pharaoh. And once again, for the 10th time, none of this has yet been said to Pharaoh. This is all part of the warning, right? We're all in that uh, extended sentence that God is telling Moses to say to Pharaoh. Um, okay, and that, by the way, continues at least to the next verse, but Rashi has one more thing to say, excuse me, on this verb, on this verse, and we're probably not going to finish this today, but let's start it. He, it's another stream of verses where he's going to describe why it, would, it was he vazda rather than the root still having the yud. Uh, with your forbearance, um, Elon, let me read this just to make, go through it a little bit quicker. Okay, so... Um, so first thing Rashi says on Hivazah is shanit yasda. So he turns it into a word that retains the, the, the full root of yud samech dalad, from when it was established, right? So the difference is shanit yasda is a verb and hivazda is a geron. So hivazda, it's establishmenting. I know that's not an English word, but, but it's that form. It's an ing. And so Rashi says, yeah, it's the same thing as if it was just put into the um, past tense of the Hitpael, when it was established. Okay. Kol teva shetchila yesoda yud. This is the second time in two verses that Rashi's beginning a comment this way. Any root, teva, he uses several different words to mean root. We use shoresh, he says teva. Shetchilat yesoda, that the beginning of its shoresh, of its root, sorry, teva just means word. The word he's using for root here is yesod, which by the way is interesting because that's the root of the word we're talking about. You notice that? Sometimes Rashi uses the word gizra to mean root, but here he uses the word yisod. That's the word in the verse that he's commenting on, but he's just doing that, I think, to be, I don't know, playful. Foundation. Foundation, right. right? So anytime the beginning letter of the yisod, of the root is yud, kagon, like yasad, like that root, yasod, or yalad, giving birth, yadoa, knowing, yasar, which means to, um, to be, um, no, what's that? Removed, to be removed, yes, yeah. something like that. Oh, kshahi uh, um, mit pa'elet, meaning when that root is reflexified, right, put into a reflexive or sometimes a passive form, tavo havav, here comes the vav, bimkom hayud. He, he, he describes it kind of like, almost like a cartoon. Like the, the vav comes in and takes the yud that was in the root and removes the yud. Kamo he vazda, like the root he vazda, rather than hit yazda or something like that. And now we get he valda. Now this is interesting. Rashi, Rashi on the some level assumes that his readers know everything and nothing. He assumes we know nothing because he's explaining basic concepts like, oh, when the first letter of a root is a samech, a taf comes in. But he also assumes we know everything because he can just say the word hivalda, and he thinks we're going to know, oh, I know exactly what that word is. That's, that's not a verse he's quoting, he's quoting a word. And without an annotated version of Tanakh, we wouldn't know what he's referring to. What ver- what's he referring to? I happen to know it because it's from my bar mitzvah haftorah. Um, I remember that word when I learned it from Parshat ben Midbar. So I'll share the screen. Hosea chapter two. Penafshi tana aruma. I'm going to lest I strip her naked. Vehitzaktiha and set her up kiyom on the day 
Hivalda, that she was born, right? So it's a, it's, a, it's a terrifying text, by the way. And this is God basically saying Israel has strayed and become a harlot, and I'm going to uh, embarrass her and make her stand as naked as the day she was born, right? So that's an ancient uh, image, not only a modern in, uh, image. And if you look at Hivalda, it's not Hiyalda, but the root is Yalad, to give birth. But the form is Hivalda. Why Rashi thinks... Just by saying the word Hivalda, his readers will know this from the second chapter of Hosea? I don't know. Because it seems to me any reader that would know that would also know that the Yud comes and is replaced by the Vav. Joel? First you learn, Microphone. First you learn it by rote, and then you really understand it. So they learned it from their childhood by rote. Uh-huh. So that, that may be the oral tradition. Someone hears Hivalda, they know. Haftor from Abin Bar Hoshea too. It's like too. when you're explaining a word, you, you bring something up from the, from the liturgy. Because we know it, but we don't really know what it means. Yeah. Listen, I guess we can't really understand what it meant to live in the oral tradition where, where it was common that people knew the Tanakh by heart. Like, it's, it's, it boggles the mind that that was considered a common thing, that some would say a word and they would know it. Marshall? Since Joel mentioned the word liturgy, I just wanted to note that Rabbi Jules Harlow just died yeah. at the age of 92. And I mention it specifically because he was, we've used his Sidur Sim Shalom for so many years. Yeah. And I noticed something this morning in the davening I hadn't noticed before. Yeah. That's something that you did. That in the Sidur itself, the prayer for the state of Israel, Simchat Olam Yoshveha. And when you did your modification of that, you said Simchat Olam Lechol Yoshveha. Yeah. And really that what Harlow just, did just was... say in, that in English for people not, not getting it. That give joy to wor- the world, to, to its inhabitants. But what you added was give in, uh, joy to all of the inhabitants. Of Israel, yeah. Of, of Israel. And what Harlow did was in his translation, he incorporated conservative movement theology into the Siddur itself. Yeah. I'm glad you referenced that. Zichronol uh, Racha, Rabbi Jules Harlow, who was um, one, of the, one of the great... Um, editors of, of Cedarim in our movement. I'll just tell you a, a cute story that was shared on a text chat that I'm in yesterday when we found out that he died, that um, Rabbi Harlow at one point visited a shul that we were davening at in New York City, and he was like a guest speaker or something, and at the Kiddush, we were like pouring the chayims. <laughs> My friend Rabbi David Kalb, who was a rabbi, lifted up, lifted up a, a shot glass and said, to liturgy! <laughs> Because, because that's what Rabbi Harlow had, had, had devoted his life to. But I think it's the only time in history that someone said, Alachayim to liturgy. So, Rabbi Jules Harrow, uh, may, your, may your memory be a blessing. May you rest in peace. I will stop here because we're after 931. We're in the middle of, there's like three or more of those where he brings um, roots that begin with a yud, where the yud is disappeared by the vav. Have a good day, everybody. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.